during the time that we were in the ICU, the first night, um, a child next door to us passed away. And hearing that mother's cries and screams, it's just something it, I'd heard it before as a physical therapist and it rocked my world. It completely rocked my world when I was there, even more so as a mom. Um, Welcome to Complex Conversations brought to you by the Bluebee Collective. I'm your host, Chastity Short, and I'm so glad you're here. Complex Conversations and the Bluebee Collective exist to bring education, advocacy, and empowerment to families living life with a medically complex child. We don't only focus on the families, however, we also bring in providers to help build this community to best serve our complex kids. So if you're here, I'm grateful, and remember that you belong. Today we're talking to Brittany Riling, who is a pediatric physical therapist, and she spent 11 years in a high acuity pediatric hospital. Uh, we're going to be getting her perspective on all sorts of things, including the hospitalization of her own children and how that changed her perspective. We will be talking about sensitive topics such as child loss and PTSD, so please take care while listening. Remember, medical mom and dad, you're doing great. Welcome, Brittany. It's so nice to have you on. Thanks. So Brittany and I are real life friends. And um, we met working at a hospital, a pediatric hospital. And Brittany, would you like to start off by telling them our amazing origin story? <laughs> sure. So uh, I've seen some things on Facebook, something that uh, Chastity shared with me that uh, you know you're good friends when you started out and not liking each other. <laughs> yeah. that, That's an that, understatement. That, yeah, we we really did not like <laughs> starting out. So uh, the way that Chastity and I met, we I was a, a new therapist to the hospital that we were working at, and I was sent to be the therapist for Dominic, for Chastity's son, because everybody else in the office said, you know, we're too good of friends with her because we've worked with her. So you have to go because it won't be as awkward for you to be treating somebody. She's not your friend <laughs> to be treating their, to be treating a friend's son. So you have to go. They totally so, threw you under the bus. I, totally. And, threw and <laughs> I will say backstory is I texted some of our friends that work there and I said, you better not send me a new grad. <laughs> and they totally did. They totally did. But they knew exactly what they were doing. Oh my gosh. So, um, so Dominic was admitted to the hospital a couple of times throughout the first couple of years of starting to know each other. And I did both physical therapy and I did wound care. Um, I was really passionate about that as well at the time. And so I ended up seeing Dominic for both physical therapy and for wound care. And um, right off the bat, I could tell that Chastity was not pleased <laughs> with, <laughs> with the care I was providing. And I didn't know what to do because I, I felt like she was very mama bear and she knew what she was talking about and I knew nothing. Um, and yeah, so to that be fair, you had walked into the lion's den. We were in the ICU. <laughs> so it was already a stressful yes. situation. And then- then you come in and I don't know you. And right. I was a little bit tenser back then, like a little bit more. Um, my fight or flight was really activated all the time. Yes. I was yeah. she Hulk. <laughs> she Hulk back then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, I remember Mike at one point was in the room with Dominic and like kind of apologized. Was like, I'm sorry if she seems a little, I don't know if he said aggressive or whatever, but like, you're good kind of thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm um, sorry. Yeah. So I remember you coming in and you had like a little mat on the floor and a blanket and you put them mm -hmm. down there and you were starting to do stuff with them. And I was like, oh, that's not how you do it. Move. <laughs> so then I made you move and I started doing therapy and you're just like, okay, <laughs> why am I here? This is so awkward. Uh, and then yeah. it you was went back so to the office and gave everyone a piece of your mind. Yeah. Yep. And then they continued to send me there. Um, <laughs> and later on, it became because I was, I ended up um, becoming certified in wound care. And so I was kind of like the guru in that realm on the team. So with our more complex kids, I was the person, I mean, 
that was my wheelhouse. That's where, you know, where my passion lied at the time. And so I would get sent more often um, for those more complex kids. And so then I ended up seeing you for that too. And it was, it was just an interesting time. And then I remember. <laughs> Wait a minute. Were we, were we friends then? No, was... we were not friends. We were not oh, friends. Oh, okay. That you clearly and remember. So I remember then um, you, you hadn't been working at that point and you were coming back to work and everybody in the office was ecstatic except for me. Like I could not understand why everybody was so excited that Chastity was coming back to work with us. And then, you know, they just kept throwing me into the lion's den because then since you were quote unquote new to working there, even though you'd been there before, you still had to go through a little preceptorship and they made me go with you to a couple of kids to like try to preceptor you. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what y'all, y'all hate me. What are you doing? Um, but I'm like trying to repair the damage that I had done over the past couple of years to you. I was like, okay, so let's start over. Sorry about that. So then very quickly, once you started working uh, with us again, I, I saw your true personality and you started to share your story about you and Dominic and we were fast friends after that. And now, I mean, I think it's safe to say that like, we would call each other one of our best friends, like within our little group of people. So, um, right. Yeah. Right. So it's funny how it all comes full circle. And now we've gone to New York together. We've traveled. We together. did. <laughs> and yeah. I never thought I would go to New York and you called me. So I want to preface by saying I'm having you on because this is, um, conversations about kiddos who are medically complex. It's a mouthful, yeah. but I also want to get providers perspectives. And so you've worked in acute care, high acuity mm-hmm. um hospital for years and years. Yes. With 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 complex medical kiddos. And so I'm having you yeah. on for your perspective and also you're super fun to talk to. But um <laughs> okay, that being said, you texted me in May, I think, and you were like, wanna go to New York? I was like, yeah. I can't go to New York. And then like I slept on it and the next morning I was like, yeah, I want to go to New York. So we and went and got this certification. Like, I can't go to New York. What was I thinking? I know. Yeah. We kept trading and then we we're like, let's do it. And so these two country bumpkins in New yep. York city. Uh huh. That was, and I still can't believe that was real. I know it's crazy looking back. Like it is. I feel like some people are like, like yeah, moment. like I travel by myself all the time. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't do that. And I, I have traveled by myself before, but to um, places like Bozeman, Montana, where it's not a lot of people and it's easy to navigate, not New York City, where we were stuck trying to figure out this whole transit system that oh my I'm gosh. sure if you went there, it's nothing, but to us, it was super complicated. And it, I mean, we don't even hardly have public transportation where we are because it's right, so yeah. spread out. And yeah. so getting there and they're like, here's your 15 steps to get to your Airbnb. And then we ended up under some bridge in the middle of New York City, like the actual real city. And we were standing there like total sitting ducks. And what was the lady's name who came up? St. Francis. Francis. We start calling her St. Francis. She came up and she was like, do you you girls need help? And we're like, yes. So she's like, y'all need to get in a cab. You need to stop this mess (laughs) going on subways and get in a cab and pay for the cab. We're like, okay. She held us a cab. She missed her bus because of us. She did. St. Francis, if you're out there listening to us, we'll always remember you. Always. You saved our lives. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Quite the experience. But it was so fun and we learned so much. And it was just, it'll be a forever memory for us. It was great. Jumped in head first. Like, let's just go to New York City. Let's just start at the top. How about that? Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. So, Tell me how long you've worked in acute care with medically complex kids. So I was in the hospital for 10 and a half years. That was um, kind of what Chastity alluded to. That was my very first job of PT school and um, was working at a children's hospital. And oh yeah, yeah. I forgot to say you're a PT, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I'm a physical therapist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so right after grad school, that's, that's where I went. And, and since yeah. then you've worked in outpatient in home health. Yes. I had a little stint, six month stint in outpatient. Um, 
And after I was like finally getting in my groove there, my husband found out all of a sudden that we were moving for his job. And so we moved to uh, New Braunfels, Texas, so Hill Country area. And now I've been doing home health out here. Awesome. So I've and seen so- the whole gamut of the pediatric physical therapy world. Yeah, it's great. You have the experience, you have the full picture experience of, yeah. of doing that. And some of the sickest of the sickest kiddos, because where we worked was, yeah. we, we got the sickest of the sickest kids. They would be flown right. in from all over, all over the right. world, really. I mean, we're seeing kids from different countries coming yeah. in for specialty surgeries. And uh-huh. so, so I wanted yeah. to get your perspective as a provider working with families that I'm talking to with kiddos that have uh, complex medical needs or special yeah. needs, just, just your perspective. Cause I feel like when you're admitted, it's easy to see all the faults and like this went wrong and this went wrong and this person didn't quite understand. So I wanted right. to bring you on and have your perspective of what's it like to work in a very high acuity, extremely busy place like yeah. that and kind of have your view of it. Yeah. So, um, I think kind of starting at what what I walked into each day. So as a physical therapist in the acute setting, it's very different from home health and outpatient. Um, you know in outpatient and home health, for the most part, you know I've got 10 kids today that I'm going to see. I've got five kids. I've got a meeting at this time, whatever. Um, and there's some variability in that. Every once in a while, you try to squeeze a kid in. But for the most part, you know what your day is going to look like. In the hospital, every day that we walked in, we walked into our like queue, for lack of better words, where we, the day before, we would set up our schedules with who we knew was in the hospital and who needed to be seen. And then um, you would walk in the next morning and some of the times you would walk in and there would have been two new kids that got admitted to the hospital that needed physical therapy. Other days you'd walk in and there would be 20 more kids that had been admitted that needed physical therapy. So um, more often than not, you were working, walking into a pretty you know, significant list of new kids. And those kids keep coming throughout the day. You know, a doctor meets a kid for the first time in the morning that had just been admitted overnight and realized they need physical therapy. They put in the order. So now it's, you know, you started your list with however many kids, 30 kids. Um, and now it's up to 32 for your team and 32 would be a really low number actually, but, um, nonetheless, you get my point. So you walk in and immediately your stress hormones kick in, even if you're used to that environment. I mean, I worked there for 10 and a half years and still, I mean, the day that I left, I walked in and there were all these kids that we weren't expecting. Your stress hormone immediately goes up. You're trying to figure out, okay, I had space for this number of kids. Now I have to go through and prioritize because I can't. Some of the times you literally could not. There was not enough time in the day to see all of the kids. So you had to go through and prioritize. Okay, this kid is discharging today. So I have to see them. This kid needs to be seen immediately before or immediately after surgery. When is their surgery? I've got to figure that out. Um, you go to try to see a kid and respiratory therapies in there, or all of a sudden, you know, they just, uh, their saturations, oxygen saturations just plummeted. And now they're having to have an increase in oxygen supply. And so now you can't see that kid. Um, so you're, constantly on your toes. You have no idea what your day is going to look like. Even if you plan it out as best as you can, it's going to change. So you have to be very flexible. Um, but looking back, I didn't realize it until the end of my time there, but it truly, it affects your cortisol levels and your stress responses uh, so much. And it plays a huge role in, um, just how you're feeling and, just how your day goes. It it affects you a whole lot more than what I realized um, yeah. until in my time there. So, well, I feel like being a therapist is a little bit unique too, because when you're a nurse, you have your kids for the day and they could be extremely high acuity, extremely mm-hmm. sick, but your focus is on those kids, however many you have. But when right. you're a therapist, we, we go everywhere. So right. you're running up to every floor. You're going from the bone marrow transplant unit mm-hmm. where 
this kid has a very poor prognosis um, right. to a kid that just had an orthopedic surgery. He's fine, just has a broken leg, right. but that's still the most stressful day that this family's yeah. ever had. Right. Exactly. Down, down to the the ICU where this kid, a brand new traumatic brain injury or a brand new <laughs> shaken baby. And there's a lot of social situations. So the right. amount of changing is so fast that right. it's hard to like get into each one fully. I mean, everyone does it right, but right. it's just a different type of, a different type of stress and, and the hours yeah. are so long too. So then you go home, yeah. you, you eat, you go to bed and then you're back and it's just like right. a repetitive thing. Yeah. And that was really hard before kids. And then once I had my own kids, it became even more difficult because you, um, one, we were living in DFW at the time. So you're already dealing with traffic. The first thing that you wake up, which is already stressful. Then you get to a hospital setting, which again, I loved it, still love it, but, um, it, no matter how much you love it, it's still stressful. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you're dealing with that stress all day. And then as soon as you get done, you're back in traffic and going home to your own kids and, you know, barely seeing them before they go to bed. And then you're going to bed so that you can get sleep, but there's no time in your day really to like cope or de, uh, I want to say de-stress. That's not the correct word, but like, you know, let the stress out or be able to process what all you've experienced. And, you know, the hospital that we were at, they did the best that they could to give you those opportunities. I mean, we would meet in the lunchroom and, you know, we would talk it out. We would cry it out occasionally. But at the same time, once your lunch was over, like you had to, you had to get it back together and you had to get back on the floor and you had to learn to kind of compartmentalize um, and I think that's one thing that we've talked about that I think would be important for medically complex families to know, or truly anybody that's been in the hospital, um, or is in the medical world with their children, um, that some of the times when you feel like the practitioners, the physicians, the physical therapists, whoever it is, that they're not as invested in your child as you want them to be, um, that we have to learn to compartmentalize to some extent. Otherwise you literally cannot survive. If you were taking on the weight of every family and every child that came into the hospital, you could not do your job. You would just be sitting in a corner crying all day. Um, yeah. And I, I think like for parents to think, you know, I have the stress of my child. What if I took on the stress of everybody else's children that I knew you wouldn't be able to do it. You can't. So, um, so I, just to provide that perspective that if you feel like some of the times there's a disconnect, um, it's not from lack of trying, it's not from lack of caring. It's just kind of what you have to do to some extent there, there's that fine line. You need to be invested and you need to show that you have empathy and all of that. But yeah, those are definitely yeah. skills that, you know, you have to develop over time. Right. I mean, I know that that's a shared experience for a lot of parents that have medically complex kids is mm -hmm. feel that they, they don't feel taken care of or they don't feel seen. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think it's just so important for them to get this perspective. I'll never remember the first kid that I happened to be up in the ICU and the first kid that I watched die mm -hmm. and then watching the staff because mm -hmm. they had other kids to take care of, like, like they had to go and wash their hands and mm -hmm. they went and they just went to their next patient. Because they mm -hmm. because they had to, so right. I think giving that perspective to families that I mean it affects them big time. They're going to exactly. be affected but at that moment. Right. They can't because there's another kid on a ventilator that they're taking care right. of. Yeah, you know, if they're not responding in the way that you think they should, it's, it's because yeah. they yeah, they've got to continue taking care of the others. So, well. and that care the um. I mean, the caregiver burnout is real, but the mm -hmm. provider burnout is also really real when you work for a long yeah. time in these high acuity yeah. situations. Yeah, very much so. And I definitely started to feel that towards the end of my time in the acute setting. Um, it was kind of going back to what we talked about. Like I, you know, dealt with traffic, worked all day in these high stressful situations, traffic again on the way home, got home to my own kids, trying to figure out meals, bedtime, bath, all of that stuff. 
And the second that that's done, I'm going to bed and like, there's no time to decompress. Yeah. And, and do it again and again. Yep. So I know that you had, you've shared with me before that your perspective changed after your own kids were admitted to the ICU and you kind of lived, uh, you know, a little bit of what a medical parent goes through. Yeah. You want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah. So first I'd like to say that Chastity taught me so much and just meeting Chastity and once we were friends, <laughs> getting to hear her story changed the way that I approached parents 100%. And anytime that we had um, students come in, I would always ask if she had time to try to talk to them. And then um, you even came with me to um, my PT school. I used to go back and teach once a year and Chastity came with me and uh, provided her perspective and anybody, any staff, any students, anybody that ever met Chastity and heard her side of the story, it was so eye-opening um, and changed the way that you approach things. So if you are a medical parent out there and you have connections to people that um, are in the medical world, if you are comfortable with it. I would highly encourage you to try to share your story when the opportunity arises um, because it does help. It helps to shed some light on things and it's, it's invaluable. Um, but then on the other side, I, so both of my children were admitted um, for RSV, hand, foot, mouth, because uh, Wit wasn't taking enough orally. So he got super dehydrated. Um, and one more thing I can't remember, but so we've had, three or four different hospitalizations between my kids and my daughter was actually admitted to the ICU when she had RSV. She, um, for the medical parents, they'll understand that she was placed on high flow um, oxygen. So we were in the ICU um, for a few days with that and it did completely change my world. Um, being in the ICU where it's just curtains separating you for walls, you hear everything. You hear everything that the nurses are saying. Um, you hear everything that's going on with other families. You aren't getting sleep. You're trying to comfort your child. Um, you're at the same time though, like every once in a while you are trying to get sleep because you know that you're supposed to be taking care of yourself. Um, but how are you supposed to sleep in the ICU on the couches? And when your kid is you know, connected to all these different things. Um, and you can hear everything going on around you. So it was very eye-opening to me. Um, during the time that we were in the ICU, the first night, um, a child next door to us passed away. And hearing that mother's cries and screams, it, it's just something it, I'd heard it before as a physical therapist and it rocked my world. It completely rocked my world when I was there, even more so as a mom. Because um, you weren't there at work. You were there. Right. Was, you were in a vulnerable yeah. position. Right. Very, yeah. Very vulnerable, vulnerable position with my daughter, also very sick. Um, and just, I mean, I, I knew that she was going to be okay with the way that she was presenting, but still you think like that could have been my, like that that could have been my kid. That could have been me. Um, and so that definitely chastity has helped me to realize that, that, uh, that definitely gave me a little PTSD with certain things that I experienced and it would come up later in life in different, um, scenarios. Um, but yeah, that completely changed my world. And from then on, you know, as a therapist, some of the times you would go in and it'd be, 11 o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the afternoon and a parent's still sleeping on the couch. And you're like, come on, like, let's wake up. I need to talk to you about your kid. Like what's going on? Oh, I know what's going on. You didn't sleep at all. I was like, mm -hmm. A nurse was in here every hour checking on your kid. There were beeps going on. You were hearing the mother next door who just lost their child. You, you know, haven't eaten you haven't slept. You haven't just gotten out of this fluorescent light setting in the past 48 hours. So, um, and when we were admitted with my daughter, uh, the nurses were the first to learn it, but I was pregnant with our son and was having a very, very hard first trimester. I was sick all of the time. And so, um, I had to end up telling the nurses, <laughs> I was like, just so you know, 
<laughs> when I'm running to the bathroom to puke, I, you know, I'm not sick. It's <laughs> that I'm pregnant. So, um, Perfect time. you know, that was just another thing. And you never, like, after that, I would walk into parents' rooms some of the times and be like, oh my gosh, like, what if, like, what if she's pregnant? What if they just, you know, filed bankruptcy? What if they just lost a grandparent? You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so, um, I think being pregnant in that moment also helped me to realize and recognize like there's there's a lot more going on than what I'm seeing right now in this room. I have no idea what's going on at home. Like life is still happening. And so um, I would have parents apologize to me that like I need to take this phone call or I need to step out so that I can go do this during um, our physical therapy sessions. And it's like, you know what? I, I understand your life hasn't stopped. I get that. It's still going, even though you were stuck here. So mm -hmm. that, gosh, I could probably talk a million different ways how it changed me, but it, it really did change the way that I saw things and helped me have a lot more empathy for those parents. Yeah. I mean, that was such a hard time for you. Mm -hmm. It probably made you such a, not, not better clinically therapist, but more empathetic. And I, yeah. I remember the me before Dominic working mm -hmm. at the hospital. And then when he was born, I quit, you know, for a few years. And then when I came mm -hmm. back, the me then, it yeah. was just like, because like, I totally know what you're going through. And I was, uh -huh. I was kind of judgmental, like before, you know, like right. you're saying, you, you go in, mm -hmm. and they're just a mess. The parents are a mess. Yeah. You got their PJs on, or they're sleeping, and you're having to wake them up. And you're like, get mm -hmm. your life together. What are right. you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're in the hospital for months and months and you're like, oh, I never realized. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there is a lack of that base, you know, in a, a lack of that education in the medical community. Mm -hmm. And because you have to come in kind of not calloused, but a little bit because you have to be able to like function, right? You can't take right. on all these emotions. I think there is a judgment there. Mm -hmm. of, and if you've never experienced it, it's just, you can't really comprehend what those right. parents are going through and for how long. Right. You know, okay. they've been doing this for years. Yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah, after that experience, uh, I talked to several different people throughout the hospital. We had a patient experience team. There were other, just other people that I would uh, run into and talk to about different things. And I told all of them, I was like, I don't want anybody to ever have to experience what I just lived through. But in some way, I wish there was a way to simulate it. And for everybody that works in the hospital to have to go through a night or two of it, even if their child isn't sick, like we're just going to stick you in a room and we're going to have a nurse coming in every hour, have random beeps yeah. going on, have people crying in the background just so that they can truly, cause you can't, you, I mean, you can empathize all that you want, but you cannot understand it um, and fully comprehend it until you go through it. Um, so I, yeah, that changed everything. And then just another point to, uh, I, going back to our friendship, it was kind of a bonding point for us too. I felt like, because you happened to be in the hospital with Dominic at the same time. And I remember we ran into each other at the ICU and you were like, you look rough. <laughs> like, Thanks, Jess. So you look like crap. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that. I remember, I remember what room you were in. Yes. I was just down the hall from you being admitted <sighs> at the same time. Yeah. And it was, you were so great. Um, in that moment, it was so hard for me to understand because you were, you were a teacher to me in that moment. You were like a huge support system for me. And what you were going through with Dominic was so much more complex than what we were going through. And yet you were like the strong one that I was leaning into and telling me, you know, how ways to grant myself grace, uh, through the whole experience and different ways to try to take care of myself and make sure that, you know, we made it through kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was really helpful for me though, because, you know, when you're always on the receiving end of help, like you're mm -hmm. always getting meals, you're always needing help people picking up your yeah. kids or watching your kids or whatever it may be. It's so nice to like, be able to offer something to somebody, yeah. you know, and you're like, Oh, yeah. trauma. I got that. I've done that. You know, we've been doing this for years. Yeah. 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 No, it was great. I remember you told me for every day that you're in the hospital, something like this, like that it's going to take you at least, I think you said like twice as long to recover, um, something to that extent. And I remember I shared that little nugget of information 
with almost all of the parents that I saw after that, that like to help grant themselves grace and to um, be able to, you know, recover it and recover from things. And when they left to realize one of our uh, coworkers was admitted to the hospital later on with um, her daughter after an accident. And I remember talking to her afterwards and, you know, telling her like, if you're feeling this way, it's okay. This is normal. And she, and I learned that from you and she's just like a relief and just like rush of emotions to know that, okay, so what I'm feeling, this is normal and it is okay. And it's part of like the traumatic experience and the recovering process. Um, and so anyways, that was super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm sure that it made you overall a better human and clinician, you know? And so it's hard when you're in this acute care. And I always think of the ICU because typically like the extremely complex kids, that's where we would encounter them, right? Is, Mm -hmm. is the ICU. Um, I remember before I had Dominic, I would go in and I would be like, I felt like I had this information that they needed. And so Mm -hmm. then I would give them this information and I would say stupid crap, like, um, you know, lift with your legs because you can't hurt your back. And then I had Dominic and I had terrible body mechanics when I was lifting him because they just, they just do, you know, that's like real life. And so then that, that changed to me, me coming in, like I had something that they needed to me coming Mm -hmm. in and be like, okay, while you're here and you have access to me, what are you struggling with at home? How can I help you? You know, you're here anyway, I'm going to be coming anyway. So let's like problem solve. Are you having trouble lifting? Are you having trouble? You know, whatever it is. it just totally changes the way that you interact with the families and for sure. And I remember you from really. that perspective and I mean, exactly what you said, like how it changed uh, the way that I approached families for sure. And I, I know I didn't do it perfect every time, but I tried my best um, yeah. to do yeah, what you're saying. Like I'm here, I mean, what can I do for you? So yeah. it, it, it's a big difference, especially when, especially when you're a seasoned medical parent and you're in the hospital a lot mm-hmm. and you get these new, very young providers, whether they're nurses or whatever. And um, mm-hmm. they just haven't lived a lot of life yet. You know, everything's yeah. kind of probably gone fine for them. Um, anyway, it, it means a lot. It means a lot to a lot of people. It does. Now, yeah. You worked in the hospital during COVID. And yes. so can you talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, just kind of the trauma that the employees went through during that like really stressful time and how y'all coped with it, how you dealt with it. Um, because mm-hmm. even though it's different for medical parents, a lot of medical parents went through a lot of trauma too, because, you mm-hmm. know, there, if my kid gets this, this might be the thing that, that does it. And a lot yeah. of people had a lot of fear. Their kids were kind of kept home for a really, really long time. So right. I'd like to hear your, your your perspective of being in the hospital and how how you and the team kind of coped with everything. Because at that point, Dominic died right. His funeral yeah. was the day everything shut down. Yes, it, it was. was. That- I all of us like I will never forget that. I will never forget being at his funeral, getting in the car, and um, our good friend Lydia uh, getting a phone call on the way back to work. Um, a group of us had all gone to the funeral. And we we're headed back to work and. Her getting a phone call from her husband saying, like, the schools are shutting down, everything's closing, what are we going to do next week, da, 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 da. And then, yeah, that weekend, literally, the world shut down. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. I always um, saw that as such a grace to be able to, like, to have everything timed out just perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he had died a week before, it took a yeah. week to have the funeral, and then within hours, the world shut down. Um, so I wasn't, obviously I didn't go back to work at that point. Sure. So yeah. I, I didn't live that with you guys. Yeah. Um, what a crazy time it was. It was just, I don't, gosh, hope it never happens anything like that again. And I will do my best to like explain things without providing too much of my different like opinions about things. But, um, we, during that time, I mean, nobody knew what was going on. I was pregnant. Um, and I was thrilled because I was later on in my pregnancy, I was 
I can't remember if I was in the third trimester already or definitely second trimester um, when the world shut down. And so I was thinking like, man, I'm good because like my baby's already, you know, grown so much inside of me. We're safe. We're good. And then the world came, everybody in the medical community freaked out. And they were like, no, actually, you're the ones that we're worried about the most because if you get sick during this later part of your pregnancy and you're put on a ventilator when you're supposed to be delivering the baby, like, what does that look like? Um, it was it was so crazy. Um, my team, I told them a million times and I would tell them a million times over, I can never express enough gratitude and it'll make me start to tear up but um to our physical therapy team during that time because nobody knew how to navigate this um well and, you know, and at that time we didn't know any information all we knew no, is that like there's this new thing people are dying right. and then every day you're yeah. going to work with potentially being exposed to this thing that's right. killing people right because yeah. it was brand new oh it was brand new and it was mind-boggling to us too when it came out because it was like COVID. it's like you know, the world shutting down because of it. And we're like, we've been seeing kids with COVID since we started at the hospital. COVID's been around forever. What are you talking about? But it was this new strain, right? That was causing all of the fear and all of the uh, medical problems, all just everything that we know now that happened from it. Um, and so at first it was very confusing as a medical provider and um, not, not knowing all the different details. But then, yeah, we, so we got to the point that um, our team, we split up into two different teams, taking rotations, coming to work because we weren't, um, our numbers were down a lot, like at the beginning, because, you know, they cut surgeries, they cut all these different things out um, that they didn't find were essential at the time. And uh, that was a lot of the kids that we did see, obviously, like post-surgical kids. So it was more the acute injuries, the car accidents that were still happening, or, you know, the freak medical things that do happen, the kids that do have complex needs um, that were getting sick um, with different things. And so uh, we split up into two teams and took rotations and the team, my entire team, physical therapy team, they saw, you know, you're pregnant. They kept me at home as much as they could. Um, They protected me as though I was their own child and kept me home and out of the hospital as much as they could because we we had no idea. And um, I was the only one pregnant at that time. And so they they were protecting me and my baby because we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so I'm so incredibly thankful for them because nobody told us to do that. They, they took that, and I didn't ask that of them. They took that upon themselves. So um, they were working more and I was at home um, and they were you know, taking care of me. So I will forever be grateful for that. Um, that being said, I did still have to work some. And so it was, I remember when we were children and, or when I was a child and uh, the swine flu, was that what it was or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah. Or the, bur- the chicken. Uh, whatever it was. Anyways, but I remember um, a nurse that we knew that worked in the hospital saying that she came home and stripped down her clothes before she went into the house. And like, that was just so mind boggling to me. That was my life. I came home every day and my daughter was at home with my husband. He was working from home then at the time because the world shut down. Daughter was at home with us for a bit. And so before, like, I mean, she would just run up to me um, to give mommy a hug. And it was like, nope, I are laundry room was right, right when you walked in from the uh, garage. So stripped down, (laughs) took everything off, threw it into the wash, started the wash right away, ran to the shower and took a shower um, before my daughter was allowed to say hi to mommy. Um, So that was, it was bizarre. And every day, you know, you're going in with the mask every day, new information is rolling out about different ways that you can catch it. Um, to space out a certain amount of space, trying to figure that out. How are we supposed to stay this far apart when we only have this much office space? Mm -hmm. Um, If we go into a room and our mask isn't just perfect or all of our other garb isn't just perfect, are we going to catch this? Um, We took turns at the time we had uh, COVID floors and one of our, oh my gosh, Erin, she was just the best ever. She, um, she didn't have kids. And so she took that on upon herself to be kind of like the designated PT that went to the COVID, um, ICU and COVID floors. And she was the only one for a while that went. Um, so 
just, I mean, so brave of her to do that, but she wasn't going home to kids at the time. So she, she took that upon herself to do that. But I mean, all of us were scared. Like, what if we get this and something happens to us and, you know, then our spouse is at home with their kids by themselves or Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, it just, it was, it was very scary. It was, but then on the other side, we lived, we lived in a small town and we would go for walks and, the neighbors were all sitting in their lawn chairs outside talking and you would pass people by and they're like, you know, all sitting real close to each other and doing all these things that we weren't supposed to be doing. And like talking, you could hear conversations of them talking about like how ridiculous this all was. And it was just, it was so crazy because it was like, I was living in these two completely different worlds. And Mm -hmm. if you didn't live in the other world, you couldn't understand the other person's perspective on either side. Um, and so it's interesting. One of the things that happens that, um, some people may not know about is trauma bonding, you know, like, Mm. um, like if you think about boot camp, you get really close to everybody because you're going through this really difficult situation together and you make it through. And so in general, in the medical community, there's trauma bonding, especially, um, you know, just people that work in high acuity, like the ICUs and that sort of stuff. Um, I'll never forget. The very first time I was a young PT, the very first time I saw a non-accidental child abuse. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they were still building a case against the the parent, the perpetrator, and they were there. And just mm-hmm. like that, you know, those little things like sear, sear in your mind, yeah. like I'll never, ever, ever forget that kid in that situation. Yeah. And, um, but it was like this. And then, you know, we would leave. And I mean, that was the most traumatic thing that I think I had ever yeah. seen. This, this kid was profoundly disabled from this abuse. Yeah. Um, and so experiencing for the first time that kind of trauma bond. So I'm sure that yeah. this whole thing that you guys going through brand new, you didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that affected the dynamics of your team too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, that, yeah, I hadn't ever... I hadn't heard of that until you said that, but that, I mean, 100%, like trauma bond for sure. I mean, and yeah, I mean, for the rest of our lives, like in 40 years, none of us could speak and we could all come back together. And yeah, I mean, it would, we would be bonded forever and have that connection and all that we lived through and grew through. I mean, yeah, Yeah. it's crazy to think about that. That's, that's accurate. Yeah. You know, I was talking to another medical mom um, and we were talking about, I was telling her the story about us being in the ICU one day. And mm-hmm. this is one of the first times that Dominic was like so sick where we didn't know he was going to make it. And yeah. it was in the middle of the night. I wasn't sleeping. So I was just up. Everything was quiet, you know, and I heard these nurses outside and one was looking through a magazine um, and they were talking about this date. And they were just like giggling and laughing and having the best time and being like so angry. I was like, my effing kid is dying and you're out here talking about a date. Um, Mm. And it took me a long time to realize, and I I guess I want to relate this experience for other people who have had these experiences because almost every medical parent who's in the hospital has, you know, but you need your providers to be on it, right? Like, I'm not saying you should be outside of a dying kid's room chatting and laughing about a date. I don't, I still don't think that's appropriate. I mean, if you're in an ICU without walls, like you do need to watch what you're saying. But at the same time, like you don't want your doctor to be, when he's coming over to you, be all emotional because he just saw this other horrible thing. So like there's this compartmentalization that has to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, in the ICU, like it's just bad case after bad case after bad case. And when your doctor gets to you, you need him to be on his or her to be on their game to be right. able to deal with it or your nurse, or you don't want them messing up a medicine because they're all upset. And so right. it's just this kind of compartmentalization or disassociation. And then mm-hmm. the trauma bonding happens when you can go into the break room and talk about right. it, you know? Yeah. And so like you two have lived this experience, but then you need to put it back in its drawer and then move on with your day. Yeah. Right. No, for sure. Um, you definitely have to be able to do that. And then it's interesting to me, um, and I know this isn't the case for everybody, but one of the um, families that I got 
closer to that was in the bone marrow transplant unit for a while. Um, I always felt like I couldn't talk about my family and what I was doing and stuff like that because he like, who am I to come and tell you how we just had the best birthday party this weekend, or we went to the pumpkin patch or whatever it was when you've been in the hospital with your son and the bone marrow transplant unit. I mean, one of the places that nobody ever wants to be. I mean, it's a half step above being in the ICU. You never know day to day what's going to happen if your child's going to make it, if you're right there. Um, but I felt like I couldn't talk about those things. And eventually as I got closer and closer with the dad, um, the mom was working at the time. So she wasn't around as much. Um, dad was able to work remotely. So he was there more. He finally was like, you know, I want to hear about it because it normalizes this for me. You coming in and not talking about it makes it feel like it just makes you feel not as approachable kind of thing. Like you're helping me to kind of normalize my life and like that this, you know, I don't know. It brought a little comfort to him. And I know not everybody is going to have that same opinion. Um, you know, everybody's experience is different, but for him, it was what he needed. So I guess just for the providers out there and for the parents, maybe, um, to kind of, if, if you're on one side or the other, and it depends on probably where you are in your life and what's going on with your child. Um, but if you want people to talk a little bit more, like, you know, you could share that and then, for the providers out there just to try to be better about feeling families out. Um, and when it's, you know, time to zip your lips and not talk about those things, but then when other families that maybe are there for a really long time need that because it makes them feel like, you know, they're catching up with friends or whatever. It makes it feel a little bit better for them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that what you did with that family was so good. And so important. And I think there's a big difference between coming in and being like, I know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Well, even though my son was in the ICU for months, I mean, probably more than a year of his life was spent in the, was spent in the ICU. Yeah. I still don't know what the other family's going through because their experiences are right. But at the same time, like I was just talking with um, a different medical mom, and her daughter has spent almost this whole past year in the hospital, like in and out, but yeah. just in all the time. And she was saying that she really doesn't have any friends. And that the only people she would consider friends were employees of the hospital that, that mm -hmm. her daughter was at. And um, I could totally relate to that. You know, like you can yeah. have these deep conversations and not that every time you go to work or not every provider that walks in, right, you want to form this deep right. bond with, but other people that don't have any, they don't even know what it's like in an ICU. Right. You know what I mean? And like, even though mm -hmm. maybe your kid hasn't been in it um, right. in, in your nurse or therapist or provider, you know what it's like because you're there every day. I think right. that can provide so much just like mental escape and help. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I mean, I, I loved it. I loved, um, I feel like I became good friends with a lot of my people that came in and providers. And I mean, the, the janitors, yeah. they'd come in twice a day to uh -huh. change the trash. And I loved when they came in, you know, oh just like, God. oh, it's another human to talk to. And like, they're so nice uh -huh. and they're so happy yeah. to be there. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. I want to um, share one of our stories that we had because I, it just, gosh, being in the hospital, it does just completely change your perspective. And it's like, you say that everybody that works there, like you all play such an important role, like leadership can build you up that like, hoo hoo, rah, rah, like you all play a role and whatever, but sometimes it's hard to really feel that. Um, but we had the same exact experience that um, the people, I can remember the room that we were in and the uh, housekeeper that would come in to help to clean. And she played peekaboo with our son. She would like hide behind the little bathroom door and pop out and play peekaboo. And, you know, it took just an extra minute or two out of her day, but she did that. And it was the first time that I saw my son smile during the time that we were in the hospital and it lit his face up. It like made me know that everything was going to be okay. And she, when she left uh, our room that morning, she said, I'm going to come back and check on you before we leave. And sure enough, she did. She came back. Yeah, she was about to clock out. She may have already clocked out. I don't know. And she came back and did that. And 
it, I mean, it was one of the best and most positive experiences that we had during that hospital stay. And so I think it's just, it's easy for us to forget, like if you're not the physician or the nurse that's with that person, like doing the medical care that you can play a role, but man, you can, you can completely change a family's experience. So for all those people Mm -hmm. out there that maybe you're not the direct nurse or physician, if you work with kids in any kind of way, like you can make or break an experience for them. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my best friends at the hospital was the lady, um, and I'm not going to say her name, but um, a woman who worked in the lunchroom and every yes. single admission, she was there. She would always leave her stand, come around, mm-hmm. give me a big hug. She remembered yeah. my name. She remembered Dominic's name. And yeah. honestly, every time I was admitted, I actually looked forward to like, oh, I'll get to see her. I'm just going to say yeah. it's Cassandra. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was yeah. like, because yeah. she was such a positive experience. I would look forward to lunch yeah. because I knew. And then when I would go and it'd be her day off, I would genuinely be sad. Like, oh man, I didn't get to yeah. give her a hug today because yeah. that was like one of the only positive physical contacts I would have the whole day. Yeah. And right. it made such yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. In our life. Anyway, um, gosh, it's so good to hear your perspective. And I think it'll help a lot of people, especially it's easy. Well, maybe it's, this is just me, but because I'm choleric, but it's easy to become like kind of hardened and frustrated with the system. And, you know, you're just so tired. And I think it's really good to hear your perspective of working for so long in this high level hospital and kind of what it's like for you. Um, I just think we need these conversations because it's going to help you to understand or not you, but it'll help providers to understand families and it'll help families and caregivers to understand the providers. So thank you yes. so much for being on. Um, is there thank anything you, for- you want to say at the, at the end, any last words or anything? No, I'm just, I'm thankful for you doing this because it, if people do need this and I feel like on truly, if, uh, if there was more opportunities were more opportunities for things like this, I feel like it would help to prevent some of that burnout um, from the hospital side. Again, we can't take on everybody's, um, emotions and everything, but I hope it, I feel like it would help. And for sure, 100%, it would change the way that you approached families and the way that, um, you provided care. So I think these conversations are just super important and I'm so glad that you're doing it and, uh, can't wait to see where it all goes. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it can feel adversarial, you know, when you're being admitted, your kid's really sick and you're kind yeah. of ready to fight. And then, mm-hmm. and then the employee comes in and they know you're ready to fight. So it's this real tense kind of situation. I think that conversations can help so much just to get each yeah. other's perspective. And mm-hmm. so they understand, like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just ready because I'm going to have you're to advocate for these. Next five yeah. Weeks. Yeah. Whatever. So, yeah. well, thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully we can talk to you again and yes. give your kids some love for us. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.